Hi, and welcome to the 4th U Dimension podcast, slash, in this case, a special YouTube video as well. Uh, this is a production of the 4th Universalist Society in the city of New York. My name is Imbra Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education here at 4th Universalist Society. This video slash podcast is part of our special series that we call the Getting the Message series. Uh, as I like to say, this is a reflection on the reflections, where we take uh, the message from Sunday and we kind of dive a little bit deeper into looking at it. This week's message is entitled, Earth-Centered Spirituality in the Time of a Pandemic. Uh, it was delivered by Reverend Schuyler Vogel on December 6th. We will have the audio here for you to listen to. Back when I was in seminary, I felt a lot of pressure to articulate what I believed in. This might seem odd for Unitarian Universalism, a tradition that is, by definition, multi-faith, non-credo, where we equally welcome Christians and atheists, Jewish folks, Muslim folks, and almost everyone else. But in seminary, there is a sense that you should know which one of these specific buckets you fell into. Are you one of those who believe in God and love spiritual experience? Or are you a humanist who enjoys the life of the mind? Or are you a Buddhist type with a meditation practice, diligently practiced every morning? The hope was, I know, to make sure that seminarians had thought about their beliefs, that they had some grounding in spirituality or religious theory, that they weren't sort of meandering around aimlessly. For me, though, in typical UU fashion, this all felt very limiting. I didn't like categories or being put into boxes. I was inspired by the compassion of Jesus, but also grounded by the practices of Buddhism. Humanism taught me the value of reason in religion, and I admired the living tradition of Judaism. Why couldn't that be enough, I thought. Now, my solution was to hold up the religious pluralism of Unitarian Universalism, to affirm that each person can, of course, be trusted to follow their own spiritual path. When people are encouraged to trust their hearts, they will find the life they seek. And my role is to simply speak to this human experience and support people on that path. Now, this is still an answer that I believe in, but it wasn't really the answer that people wanted for me back then. I didn't answer what I myself believed, what the roots of my spiritual inspiration were. Now, there are six commonly accepted Unitarian Universalist spiritual sources. It's a cheat sheet of sorts. Sources of theological inspiration and grounding. Here are the six. The world religions, our Judeo-Christian roots, are the prophetic words and deeds of people across time, earth-centered traditions, direct experiences of the transcendent and the humanistic tradition. Now, I've been thinking more about these sources and this question that in seminary, folks wanted me to answer, what are your sources? What are your inspirations? Especially in light of the world as it is today. We have the electoral upheaval, the pandemic, the massive inequalities of our country. If there is ever a time for deeper spiritual grounding, this is it. The challenge has been that so much of what we used to rely on is now unavailable. 
We're not able to go to religious services like we used to. Maybe our yoga studio is closed or we're not able to take that meditation retreat that we used to every year. For me, the pandemic has had one spiritual, one major spiritual consequence. Unlike my seminarian self, I have become more comfortable naming the sources of my spirituality, especially that part that identifies with earth-centered traditions and practices. Now, I will admit that to some people, the phrase earth-centered spirituality conjures images of tree worshiping or from the 60s counterculture or, or maybe even something silly or heretical. In fact, my first experience with earth-centered spirituality, as I understood it then, was negative, even though it took place within a Unitarian Universalist religious education program. I was in middle school, and I was set to be enrolled in a program called OWL, Our Whole Lives, which takes a holistic and life-affirming look at sexuality and spirituality. Today, the program is revered and respected as a model of progressive education. Back in 1998, though, it was brand new and controversial, especially since it was done at church. And to complicate things, it was going to be taught at my church by a fairly intense pagan. One story she told us before the program started was how she made an annual pilgrimage to Indiana to worship the sun. And there she said she would see elves running and playing through the trees. Now, when I relayed this story to my parents, it became quickly apparent that I would not be taking Owl with this teacher. Her worldview was too unfamiliar for us then shortly after we moved to a progressive Presbyterian church down the street. What's unfortunate, though, is that I was actually really primed to be into Earth-centered spirituality from a very young age. My family was always going through walks in the woods, in the prairies, in the beaches near our home. I loved playing outside in my yard, studying the various green things growing there, and even making it a mission to save drowning worms after a heavy rain. In high school, I helped lead the school's environmental group, managing a native garden and installing birding stations around our campus. But it never occurred to me to tie those experiences to religion or spirituality. And by the time that I went to seminary, these commitments had largely been replaced by others. Now, what is real and true in ourselves, I believe, though rarely remains buried forever. When we moved to New York City, some of my old nature-oriented self started to reemerge. I suspect two things were going on. The first was that here in the city, our concrete jungle, a real longing began to creep into my life for something natural, eternal, and timeless that withstands our human effort to control it. I felt the need to be connected to something wild that I could rely on beyond the hubbub and the noise and the chaos of our wonderful city here. The second thing that was happening was that I was settling into my adult life and settling with a job I enjoy, with a partner, with a home, invited me to reflect on my values and who I wanted to be and planned to be going forward. There's a looking back that happens, 
to childhood or to earlier times, but helps clarify that part in us that is truly ourselves, unsoiled by whatever expectations or demands life has laid on us since. And so I began walking more in various city parks. We got zoo memberships. When we left town, I tried to intentionally, intentionally visit more wild places. But what finally clarified things to me was the pandemic, because there's nothing like being stuck at home to make you wish you could be outside. There's nothing like no longer being able to travel to your favorite natural places to make you miss them and realize how important they are. So I began somewhat without awareness to attempt to connect with the natural world as best I could from where I was right here. My wife and I began to make a real effort to celebrate the seasons, making food that used food that was of that time, representative of that time of year and the holidays that it was part of. I began like Ember to pay attention to the moon, one of the few celestial bodies you can see here in the city and from my window. I learned that moons have names, that there are stories attached to those names, often based in indigenous traditions or agricultural cycles. We just passed the beaver moon, for example, a name that is based on the time that beavers take shelter in their lodges and rest for the winter. I learned I could mark the, full, the moon date on my calendar and look forward to it. Fourth Universalist itself and all of you have been vital in nurturing this growing awareness. It has meant something to me to be able to decorate our sanctuary or even have the excuse to decorate my little Zoom room here with seasonal decorations. It marks the passing of time, the changes of seasons that we all go through. Even our equinoxes and solstice services have been a powerful way to honor not just the changing seasons, but the meaning behind those seasons. Just as Christian and Jewish the theologians read the Bible to ascertain the meaning and life lessons of those, we can do the same for the natural patterns of the earth, the moon and the stars and the seasons. What symbolism, we can ask, does winter have? What lessons does it have to teach us? What kind of life does it ask us to live during that time that might be different than summer or spring or fall? These questions suggest a form of spirituality that is profound, that invites us to live in a relationship to the world around us, that is always changing, yet still comfortingly predictable. We know it is never winter forever, but that winter will always come. We are comforted by the pattern of this natural world because these patterns are ancient and eternal and that generations of human beings and animals and plants have lived through them all too. We know that spring will always bring new life. Winter will always invite us inward, no matter what is happening with our politics or our government. With each moment in time, we can live into the challenges of the world, focus our attention and practice on its lessons, all while buttressed by the nature around us. The chaos of this last year, so detached from normalcy, so unhinged from the past experiences that we've all had, it's forced me to look for what I can rely on, for what constancy I exist in this world. For me, that has meant the natural world, the seasons, the moon, and the stars. 
from almost a year of this together, I am becoming confident, comfortable saying that I identify with earth-centered spirituality, at least for one of my spiritual buckets. I think my mistake or hesitancy was to believe that such labels require some worship or deifying nature above all else in letting others define what earth-centered spirituality was. The truth is that any spirituality, including earth-centered spirituality, is all of ours to define because this is all our world. This is all our earth that we call home. We can learn and love the trees and the wind and the moon in our own intimate way that gives us life. They offer transcendence and comfort and lessons. They connect us to the ancients and our ancestors and also to our descendants. They allow us to access the vastness of the universe while reminding us that we intimately belong. Naming my earth-centered spirituality has been powerful because in naming it, I have started to internalize it and emphasize it. It no longer becomes something just in my subconscious, but allows me to consciously integrate and make meaning of the world and the seasons around me, which are always there for me, for all of us, no matter what. This is a real gift. And it can be a real gift for all of us, no matter what we believe. So ask yourself, what spiritual sources are bubbling up for you right now that need naming, that are giving you resiliency and meaning and hope during this strange and unprecedented time? How do they help make meaning for you right now? It's possible that like like for me, for you, your sources are grounded in the natural world and the seasons around you. Or maybe not. The beauty of, of Unitarian Universalism is that it doesn't have to be one thing or another, all of this or all of that, one thing forever. We are able to grow and learn and follow our own spiritual path, however we need it. I am just grateful to be able to do that with all of you here together especially in these changing times with this beautiful world around us. May the sources of your inspiration nurture you now and always. May it be so and blessed be. Okay, for those who are on the podcast, you had the chance to listen to the audio. If you are joining us on YouTube, perhaps you have the chance to watch the video that has been posted previously. We are joined by our special guest, Reverend Skylar Vogel, who is joining us live from the Fourth Universalist Sanctuary. Thanks for having me, Ember. It's fun to be back here in the space. Right? I feel like it, it gives it a special touch for this video. Yeah, I'm back in the pulpit for the first time since March. Uh, it's right here. The got my computer set up. It looks just like my home, except uh, if we're here. So we got the pancetas here as if we were here. You know, it's, uh, we're trying to be festive, even in absence. Yes, uh, you know, I, I, perhaps it fits with the, the theme of the day since being in a special space is really a way to kind of be grounded. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, one of the ways that we stay grounded, I think, for the seasons, like I spoke about in the sermon, is is trying to make our sacred, sacred sanctuary space uh, reflect the world outside. So, you know, the, the holiday decorations, we have wreaths, we have Christmas lights that are 
under here that I can't pull. They're not quite long enough. But they're all over. There's, they're bright and they're shining. To make us feel like when we enter this space, it's, it uh, reflects the world outside and lets us experience the joy and the, and the, the meaning and the fulfillment of, um, of the unique season that only comes around once a year. Right. It, it, I think this time has definitely made us really appreciate how space can be special to us. Um, and I think we all do look forward to the, to the future um, of being back in there all together again. So one of the first things that came to my mind as I was uh, listening to this message was I thought it would be uh, fun to at least briefly talk about our shared seminary experiences. Um, for those who don't know, I've also completed a Master's of Divinity in seminary. And so uh, Skylar and I share, share a similar background on, on that level of finishing that very fun <laughs> degree. Um, so I really appreciated you you talking about, um, you know, not quite fitting in in a specific box, even in a even in the UU that there is like these these boxes that people perhaps, oh, like I'm this type of UU, I'm this type, uh, and I think even though I was at Chicago Seminary, which is you know very progressive, it was still like, well, Ember, where do you fall on this thing? So you had to like find your your right place. So that really resonated with me, like trying to find. Uh, the path that, that made sense for you during seminary? Yeah, you know, it was tough because I, there's a lot of good reasons for why they want seminarians and ministers to have a clear theological perspective. Um, I, think it's, I think it's because they want folks to, to be self-aware uh, and, and, to, and to understand the roots of their theology so that they can articulate some, some more comprehensive uh, path or... or uh, you know, self-awareness about their own their own journey to folks when they come out and and become ministers. Um, but the challenge for me was always that I, I kind of liked everything, and I didn't like the idea of being nailed down to something. Um, I I, I could have been it could could have potentially been all those things together, but probably not one exclusively. Uh, and there are there are definitely colleagues of mine who are very explicitly Christian Unitarian Universalist or humanist. Uh, you use. And for me, the part of the joy of Unitarian Universalism is that we get everything all together uh, and that you don't necessarily have to choose and that you can, you know, one night read uh, from the, the Liturgy of Hours uh, of the, the Catholic Church uh, and then wake up in the morning and, and practice yoga. And that is part of the beauty of it. So, uh, so part of my, I think, coming, to, coming to, to learn about myself through the pandemic was, was being coming to a realization that there's this one that is particularly meaningful, not that the others aren't, but that in this moment in time, especially, this connection to the, to nat the natural world, to the seasons, to the, the stars and the moon, really, really uh, is providing me with a way of being grounded in a way that uh, I didn't expect and that is helping me really just stay spiritually together during all this. Right, grounding in this in this challenging moment. I think you know, as you were both there and in the message talking about you know this journey for you, it really resonates for me as somebody who, uh, you know, I think perhaps others in my life have you know kind of thought that I was a little wishy-washy jumping from denomination to denomination. Um, for those who don't know, I've jumped to about ten different uh, Christian denominations, and then now I'm in the UU. So you know, just. Uh, Keep, keep on jumping around. And so some people view that as very, uh, you know, wishy-washy sort of thing. But 
I think that there's a real power in it, like in admitting that we can have these journeys to discover meaning. And then also that there is power in claiming like the, like something once you've spent so long to really discover its meaning to you, in this case, claiming that you're finding this richness in earth-centered spirituality. I've, I've been on a very similar journey uh, that, you know, there, there is power both in being able to admit to the journey and treasuring the journey and seeing the journey as a life value uh, but I think that there's also, you know, real value in, in being able to say, yeah, you know, this is something that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. I think the linchpin for me is this idea of uh, theological freedom, that Unitarian Universalists are free to follow their own path, to explore different traditions, to follow their own heart and their own integrity and their own uh, sense of the world they're free to do that and they're not trapped in their parents religion or their community's perspectives but they're able to say and ask what is what is resonating what's speaking to me we do that with our kids in, in religious education as, as you know ember you know we we encourage them to find the spark within their own heart rather than implant truths onto them because in unitarian universalism we're free to do that um and, and I think, you know, we can choose. The freedom to choose is so vital, right? Because we're not just free to, me, you know, meander inevitably into, you know, forever without making a decision or choice. We, we can continue to find freedom and joy in the diversity of, of religious experiences out there. But we also have the freedom to choose. And, uh, and that choice is also very powerful because we can decide that this is a tradition that speaks particularly to me. Um, I think it also is important to... To, to just make a sort of a little note here that Unitarian Universalists, when we talk about freedom to choose, we're not, we're not suggesting that just because someone likes a religion, they can just automatically claim it as their own. Um, there's, you know, Unitarian Universalism has a, has a history of what I think you could call spiritual colonialism, where, you know, we like Hinduism and we're going to take a, we took a class and read a book about Hinduism, so now I can be Hindu. We don't, we're not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. Um, in order to be part of a religious tradition, you, you, have, to, you have to really understand it, you know, study it, be engaged in meaningful relationships with those people who practice it. But I do think that there is the, the fundamental lesson that, that there is truth and wisdom and a path to a meaningful life through a multitude of religious traditions and experiences is incredibly liberating for Unitarians, Universalists. Well, I am going to withhold myself from the temptation of taking this entirely in the religious colonialism direction. And I will <laughs> promise everybody listening and watching uh, that in the future, Reverend Schuyler and I will make this into like an educational dialogue for an event because this sounds like a topic that we could easily spend like a full hour and a half talking about instead of just podcast length. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think... Um, uh, as you were saying some of that, and as you were talking about the UU values, I know uh, when I was younger and in, in my, you know, early 20s versus my wise 30s now. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I like to say that I was a theological jerk. Like, you know, I thought that I knew all the right ways and everybody else, you know, raised in this evangelical world, everybody else was a heretic. They were all wrong and evil. And, you know, I always like joked about that these, you know, like universalist churches or these, um, uh, anything that anything that wasn't like an explicitly um, like Christian thing, you know, like why do they even meet? Like, what's the point? 
And, you know, it, it's been such a journey for me that now at this point in my life, I see so much value in like having this community that embraces so many different perspectives and has people that comes from all walk, all walks of life. And I, I can learn so much like interacting with all these different people. Like, even though, you know, I've only been here for five months now at this point, uh, which whew, five months, um, but at the same time, like, I, I feel like I've just had such a, a rich growth of getting to appreciate uh, journeying alongside others since I've, since I've joined with Forth. Yeah, I think that diversity, I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that, Ember, that you're having a good experience, that it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like the spiritual life of the congregation is uh, a mile long and inch deep. Um, as sometimes Unitarian Universalists are accused of uh, in relation to other religions that are maybe much deeper but a little bit thinner because they're just them. Um, so I'm really glad that you're enjoying it and finding that it's meaningful to have the diversity of, of thoughts and opinions because I think that is one of the benefits that we get when we join UU communities is you don't really know who's going to be sitting next to you. Um, you know, and the holidays are a fascinating example of this. You know, obviously this congregation has Christmas as part of one of the things that it does, um, but we're also a congregation that uh, has a Passover Seder every year, um, and uh, and we have Muslim Unitarian Universalists in our congregation, and those who come out of Hindu backgrounds and Buddhists, and and to have that diversity and to be able to learn from each other about the traditions that that everyone brings, I think is uh, is pretty special, and and I think particularly for. For people who are interested in, in learning and living a life of learning, there is no better place to do that religiously than, than UU spaces. So switching gears back up to the uh, the, the earth-centered part of the message, um, both as I as I reflected on in my time for all ages, and as you mentioned uh, in the service, you know, one of the the beauties of this is realizing like uh, the much more cyclical nature of time. Um, I know that's been powerful for me. Would you wanna maybe elaborate on like uh, how that journey has been for you to like realize, to realize and appreciate the cycles of life? Yeah, I, um, I find it very comforting to know that there is always another cycle coming, coming through, another season coming up, another period of, of the calendar. Uh, there's certainty with that in a world that's very uncertain. There's familiarity with that. One of the things we've done, Ember, as you know, we've started putting together seasonal playlists that are, are centered so far around holidays, but it could also be seasonal, seasonally based. And, and part of what my hope is that in creating those is that we're able to return to those every single year. It's the same with, with Christmas music. We love that. Um, we're able to return to this, to, to this way of being during a certain period of the year so that no period of the year feels flat, that we're never left without resources. We're never left without guidance about how to be. You know, I think we can live out, we can, we can live within the spirit of the, the calendar year, um, with, within the, these cycles, so that the things we think about, things we focus on, the way the, the different color and atmosphere of our lives shifts, depending on if it's December versus if it's September. Um, and I think that's a powerful thing. And then we, we can learn to appreciate it. We can learn to really love that and, and have like the same, same way that Christians love Christmas and then move on to something else before it becomes stale, knowing that we're going to return to that eventually again, but we don't have to live there entirely. And so we can move on to 
a quieter form of winter after the holidays are over that focuses more on hibernation rather than celebration. Uh, and from there we move on to, to spring and this idea of, of life being planted and, and, and becoming, uh, becoming you know, the, the new life that is in Christian terms of resurrection and um, in pagan terms this idea of, of the seeds kind of uh, getting ready to come up and spring into into action. So, so those cycles, you know, we can we can cherish them because because they're always there for us. And there's always another one that's coming up. I'm curious about you, Ember, because you said it was something that spoke to you as well. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, I think it also speaks to uh, this moment of Corona too. Uh, that you know, we feel like things have taken a real turn for the worse. But like, if we remember that. Uh, you know, our life really has these cycles of like, sometimes things do get a little bit rough, but then, you know, the, the waves of life. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's been a real journey for me as I, as I talked about in the time for all ages. Uh, you know, one of the things I've really learned to appreciate has been like the moon cycles. And like, mm-hmm. um, I uh, found this author named Ezzy Spencer, and she has like, uh, different like, you know, themes for each each of the moon phases. And so I use those to then like translate into journal prompts for myself around like a given uh, intention or something like that. And it's just really uh, a wonderful practice to like get to like, come up with an intention and sit with that intention for a, a cycle and think about like what work I'm doing on that. You know, it really, I mean, it helps with goal setting as well. Um, I don't want to like turn myself into like the, the self-help inspirational here, but you know, at the same time, like it, working on an intention in your life uh, on this cycle, cyclical basis then gets you better at like thinking about how to set goals, but like mm-hmm. how to take them piece by piece, because, you know, you realize that you gotta, you can't get everything done all at once uh, when you're, when you're running on this cycle, you need to take the downtime, the rest time. And I think, um, you know, as I, as I already said, with, with everything with Corona, you know, every right now, all these messages are talking about like, that this is the darkest winter. And if, if somebody is listening to this in April or May, you know, please comment and let us know how this sounds, you know, a- after you're out of the winter. But, uh, you know, right now they're talking about the, that this is going to be, you know, the darkest winter of our lives for people living in, in the United States. And like that, that sounds a little foreboding, but like, having really embraced the cycles, then I remember like, hey, spring will come, like, it's gonna, it's gonna suck. But like, there is spring coming, there is summer coming, like it doesn't have, it won't be winter for forever. uh, Even as they talk about these, you know, the darkest winter ever uh, coming. Yeah, no, I think you're right. There's always another season. And there's a whole way of being in winter, right? The spirit of winter is, can be, can be nesting, can be hibernating can be interiority, right? Uh, and that is actually perfect for a season when we need to do all those things, both to be safe, but also to protect others. And in a hard winter like this, there's a spirit of winter that we can live into and live out of that gives our life additional meaning if we embrace it rather than fight it. Um, because this is gonna be tough, it's gonna be tough, but, but the history of winter and what winter is across cultures and across time and even across species is something that can give us spiritual tools to get through this this harder winter um, intact and, and safe and, and healthy. And I think that's something that earth traditions can really help us with. And I think that that is an excellent place to end us for the day. So uh, Reverend Schuyler, thank you for joining us for the podcast once again on our fifth episode. 
Thanks for having me, Ember. It's a delight. I really enjoyed doing these. And thank you to all of our listeners, whether on podcast or on YouTube. Uh, in typical YouTuber fashion, I'll say, you know, leave a like, a comment, subscribe, let us know you're watching and enjoying these. It really means a lot to us as we produce them.